Welcome back to the Todd Duncan Podcast. A member of the industry syndicate. This is where success happens. Todd's goal is to transform your business and life through deeper connections, higher trust, and proven strategies to help you win and give you your best life ever. Here's your host, Todd Duncan. Hey everybody, Todd Duncan. Welcome back to the Where Success Happens podcast. Our goal every single time we do one of these is to equip you with life-changing ideas that can make a difference in how you lead yourself, lead others, and build relationship. We have a massively powerful opportunity today to speak with my good friend, Bob Tede. Bob has been in a leadership role for this month, 50 years with an organization called Crew Leadership, uh, formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ. But Bob is a business thought leader around a single idea. And you can see it behind him right now. He is the authority on leading with questions, asking great questions. And he gets my attention because as you guys know, all we teach is ask questions you've never asked, okay? Learn things you've never learned, solve things you've never solved. And you can do that well, then people come to you and they stay with you forever. Bob, great to have you on our podcast. Thanks for joining today. Todd, what a pleasure. I've been looking forward to this. Man, I don't even know where to start. You know, I got these, I got, now that's a great question. I got great leaders ask questions. I've got the the book of big uh, leading with questions, quotes, and it's a small book, but it's a powerful book. And then of course, 339 questions that Jesus asked. Where do you want to start? How did you get excited about questions? Well, Todd, a brilliant question. And, and where I want to start is with a confession. Okay. <laughs> because, because listeners kind of, you know, just hearing a little bit must might think that the, the DNA of asking questions was just in me from birth. And, uh, and that would not be the truth. My, my confession is that for most of my career, I didn't know it at the time, but looking back, I was a benevolent dictator. My only paradigm of leadership was that I thought a leader needed to tell staff what to do, to direct them. Now, I said benevolent. I grew up in a home where I was taught to say please and thank you. Right. So I would never say, you know, Todd, go do this. It'd be, hey, Todd, you know what we're working on this week? It'd really be great if you could please do this. And, and Todd, when you hit the ball out of the park... I, I would thank you, Todd. Thank you at a staff meeting. Todd, stand up. You all need to hear what Todd did this this week or month or you know whatever it was. But again, my only paradigm of leadership is that at the bottom line, a leader needs to tell staff what to do. Well, for me, that began to change. You know, Todd, like you, I eat books for breakfast, <laughs> and uh, when we go to bookstore, Sherry, my wife, she goes all over. I just go to the leadership section. When she's ready to go, she knows she'll find me there. And uh, I peruse books and, you know, sometimes they all go back on the shelf. Occasionally one comes home. Well, in 2006, I found Dr. Michael Marquardt's book called Leading with Questions. I took it home. It was a page turner. I had no idea when, you know, when I bought it, because I buy lots of books, that this one, would forever change the direction of my leadership and then actually change things I've been now doing for the last nine years. But as I read that book for the first time, I saw a paradigm of leadership that I had not ever thought about. And, and of course, Todd, in all your sales training, you've already thought about this, but it was new to me in 2006, the concept that a leader who leads with questions 
yeah. would often be three to 10 times more effective than a leader who just tells staff what to do. Yeah, it's a, it is a powerful paradigm shift. And, you know, I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to win the day by talking. You know, a lot of people freak out about what am I supposed to say? And they overprepare and they overthink and they're not, they're not in that relationship kind of mindset. And when you and I were um, talking just, I don't know, six weeks ago when uh, I was down in Dallas and we were at the, the Dallas Gun Club and, and at an event together, we were talking about that very thing. Why is it that so many people talk too much, um, don't ask engaging questions, and, and then listen poorly? And, the, and all that kind of comes together. But what I found is that, that it takes much less effort, much, more, much less preparation, mm -hmm. and ignites more empathy when you simply ask a well thought out question. You could you could spend an hour in the morning thinking about what is the question that I like to ask the most, and how does it work in the world? And man, if you really think on that, the goal in asking a question, at least from my vantage point, is to help trust accelerate, help empathy be out there. The humanity of a relationship has to exist, no matter how technological we get. And I am surprised today in 2021 how few people understand this absolutely life-altering tectonic shift in leadership. What does people what do people need to do to understand the power of this? I think they just need to try it. Yeah. You know, uh, my friend Andrew Sobel, author of Power Questions, he, he consults with the Fortune 250 in the area of customers for life. But one simple quote I love from Andrew is that telling creates resistance, asking creates relationships. And, and of course, asking requires then listening. And, uh, you know, Todd, as I travel and speak, uh, I share that that. Well, one of the things that I love about leading with questions is some of the best questions are so simple. They're not long, complex questions. They're just so simple. And my favorite question to ask is, is what do you think? Of course, about some topic, some opportunity, some issue. But then I add three more questions to that. And, and the three more questions are, what else? They give you more and wow. I'm taking notes. Well, what else? And, and I found that often it's the third and fourth question, Todd, that gets to their gold nugget, their very best thought. And, um, oh, there's a, there's a quote again, Todd, you, you, you referred to the little book of a big leading with question quotes. I've got some of my favorite in here. One of them, Henry David Thoreau said, the greatest compliment ever paid me was when one asked what I thought and attended to my answer. So this is to me um, the life skill of all life skills. You know, you can think about being a leader in a company. You can think about being in sales. You can think about being a husband, a wife, a mom or a dad uh, or any relational position. And I think the, the obvious thing to understand right here, right now is there is attraction in asking questions. There's attraction. <clears throat> and it's it's also important to understand that even though there's attraction, it does not ink 
the relationship. In fact, I could argue, and you probably would have something to say about this, that healthy relationships continue to ask questions. And they don't have to be new questions. They can be questions that you guys agree to, that this is how our relationship works. Like, we have a question, Deb and I, we have a question every Sunday night, somewhere between six o'clock and later, we are wherever we find ourselves. And one of us will always start and there's no like who goes first. It is as random as I just tried to, to lay it out. Last weekend, we were laying on our, our deck, looking at the ocean and we we're on our chaise lounges. And out of the blue, I hear Deb, here's the question. I hear Deb ask, Hey, baby, would you like to know what you did great this week? Wow. And I'm just sitting there going, wow. like, who's going to say no? I mean, <laughs> no, I do not want to know what I did great this week. And it was totally founded upon let's have our relationship be based on positivity and praise and growth. It doesn't mean I didn't do anything wrong the previous week. But when you start with a question like that, then how can how can anybody be defensive, even to an employee, even to a, a board? You know, would you like to know what you're doing great today that I've observed? The the Bob the questions need to become well thought out, standard operating procedure, but with a heart. They can uh, make the manipulator yeah. try. Yeah. What do you think? I'm, I'm going to just go off the back of this book. <laughs> what do you think? makes a great question, Bob. Well, yeah, when when we're asked a great question, you know, Todd, I'll contrast, there are, there are routine questions. <clears throat> uh, you know, I'm in your office, Todd, which way to the restroom? And you're going to answer. And uh, it, it serves me for an immediate biological need. <laughs> um I can, you know, I can also ask, I mean, you know, we can talk about the weather and sports and, and that kind of thing. And uh, those aren't bad questions. They can be warm up kind of questions. But if I ask you a question that you've never thought of before, but it unlocks something within you that you actually, wow, I've never thought about that before. But as you roll it out, it's like, wow you actually get insight into yourself. And, uh, and for me, one of those great questions, and there's many, I'm sure Todd, I'd love to hear your great questions. But a couple of years ago, I, uh, one of my friends is Cheryl Batchelder, former CEO of Popeye's Chicken. And she wrote the book, Dare to Serve. And in that book, she, she said, how well do you know your staff? Do you know the three or four events that have most shaped their lives? And when I heard that question, it was like, well, whenever I hear a great question, I'm looking around, who could I ask? Yeah. And uh, my first opportunity was to ask one of my colleagues in Canada, and, and I've known Neil since 2007. And, and I really thought I knew Neil's whole story. I just thought it'll be interesting of all the things I know, what will Neil say are the three or four things that have most shaped his life? And so I said, Neil, I got this new question. He said, Bob, I love questions. What is it? Neil, what would you say are the three to four events that have most shaped who you are today? And Neil caught me off guard. He said, well, Bob, have I ever shared with you that my birth father died when I was nine months old? He said, I have no memory of him. 
my mother remarried and the man who's really my stepfather is a man who, you know, in my heart is my dad. But he said, it's so often been shared with me that in the final weeks of his life, he knew he was dying. He was in a big bed at home and every day he would ask to hold me. And every day he would pray over me, asking that God, the heavenly father, would be a father to this little boy that he knew he wouldn't raise. Well, as he was sharing this, Neil began to have tears. His tears caused me to have tears. And um, Todd, a simple question. Neil answered in three or four minutes. A relationship that was already good went deeper. And, you know, Patrick, I, uh, it's one of my favorite questions. Now, I can assure you, whenever I ask it, the response is not always as emotional as the first time, but it's always fascinating. And uh, our friend uh, Patrick Lencioni, in his book, Three Signs of a Miserable Job, says one of the signs is to be unknown, to work at a place and they don't really know you. <laughs> they may not even get your first name right, but they know nothing of your story. It's easy to leave a place like that. Yeah. But if you work at a place where they know your story and, and at any rate, that's, that's just an example. I'm not, it's certainly not the only one, of course. No, but I think, I, I think, you know, when we, when we think about what makes the world go round, um, it is relationships. We were built as human beings for relationship. And I believe deep in my heart that the thing that opens the door, that allows the proverbial peeling back of the onion to really get to know somebody is the quality of the questions you ask. And when your quality is high, your quantity does not need to be high. It can be low. One powerful question will outperform nine weak questions that are rote. Here's what we do, here's what we ask. And I think that is a dead giveaway to the other side, the other party that you really don't care and or you don't understand empathy or all of the above. And what I see happening today in a, in a world where we have technology, I'm a big technology um, user and supporter, but I think that technology, when you simply rely on the texted or, or formatted email, um, eliminates or at least gets in the way of the contextual conversation and value that you could have. So I, I, I sit here and I, and I say that, that the world goes around on relationships. We're built for relationship. Why is it then that we haven't perfected the kinds of questions that unveil the need that a relationship has. And you bring up resistance. I use the word tension. People can feel your motive by what you say or don't say. They can feel your intent by what you say or don't say. And if you, instead of saying what doesn't matter, ask what really does matter, you open the floodgates for relationship connection, for emotional connection. And that's what makes the world go around. And so, you know, I, I think that it's like one of our clients recently asked a, a real estate agent, um, asked her, what's the most important thing in your life that you want to focus on for the next two or three years? And that was a very powerful question because yes. it took about 10 seconds to ask. And as he tells the story, 
12 minutes later, she stopped answering. 12 mm. minutes of information based on one simple question, what do the next two to three years look like for you and what's most important? And two of the things she brought up had nothing to do with her job as a real estate agent. It had everything to do with the impact she wanted to make in her husband's life and her children's life and her grandchildren's life. And the guy tells me, Tony calls me, he says, you wouldn't believe it, by the end of 12 minutes, we're both crying because mm. it was so emotional. And that's, I guess, why I wanted to talk to you is because people don't understand the multiplying force, power of simple, well thought out questions. And they have to be simple, but they have to be real. They can't just be rote. Um, they can't be pra pra programmed or pragmatic. They have to be like relational. I heard a real estate agent ask somebody recently, what are you passionate about? I mean, that's a great question. Speaking of great questions, right? What are you passionate about? So I, I'm interested, you, you've been in leadership for a long time. Um, how do you advise, because it's really hard to say leaders, knowing that maybe some people who have a leadership title are not really asking questions like a leader should ask. What are kind of Bob Tede's recipes for helping people in management and leadership shift their thinking from telling to engaging, from saying to asking? Well, Todd, I, I shared a little bit. Uh, I, I just didn't share the context. When, when I'm speaking, one of the things I ask the audience is, who here would like to learn to lead with questions in 30 seconds? <laughs> and, uh, and I say, now, the reason I'm asking this is because I sense a lot of times that people would like to learn to lead with questions, but they imagine they'll have to go get a master's degree in questionology. You know, in other words, a, a nice idea, but like becoming a brain surgeon, probably not going to happen. And so when they hear 30 seconds, it's like every hand goes up. And Todd, I pull up one person out of the audience. And today, that's you, Todd. And I say, you know, I picked you, Todd, because I sense you have a photographic memory. You're only going to have to hear my four favorite questions once and you'll have them memorized. And then, Todd, I, I ask, who here has a, a watch with a uh, second hand? Somebody raises their hand. I said, I need you to be the timer. I'll tell you when to start. And I'm going to share my four favorite questions. And then Todd will share them back. And if he's successful, as soon as he's done, you tell me then how long this took. So, Todd, are you ready? <laughs> Talk about going for it. Yeah, sure. First question, what do you think? Second, what else? Third, what else? Fourth, what else? Todd, do you have them memorized? I do. <laughs> Let's hear them. What do you think? What else? What else? What else? Okay. I think that's around 20 seconds. Congratulations. <laughs> I, I didn't say to the audience, I know some of you are, are skeptical. Like, Bob, you can't ask somebody, what do you think? What else? What else? What else? And I say, well, of course, not in that rapid fashion. But when you ask that first, hey, what do you think? And it's about something. It's an issue. It's an opportunity, something that, you know, the team is working on. And then, of course, you listen. Yeah. And I say we all instinctively, when we're asked what we think with somebody we're just building a relationship with or who's first asking us for the first time, we roll out kind of a safe answer. We see how they will treat it. 
And so, Todd, if I asked you, hey, what do you think about? And you shared an answer. And I said, well, that's dumb. Everyone knows that. Well, you're sorry that you answered. But when I say, wow, Todd, this is good. What else? Well, you're thinking, wow, Bob likes what I shared. Yeah, here's more. And, uh, And I find that it's the third and fourth question that gets to the gold nugget. And and Todd, looking back, even when I asked the first question, what do you think? I realized so often as soon as they answered, I moved on. I never got to the gold nugget. I was like the proverbial gold miner, you know, who stopped six inches from the gold vein. They come back later and find he spent his whole life, but you know, six inches. Right there. He'd have been there. And, um, I say to that leader, you were asking, how can you move? A leader who, who would confess, yeah, I just tell people what to do. If they will use those four questions in their next meeting, one-on-one with a staff member or with that team. And, and, and Todd, I, when I'm speaking, I, I ask this silly question. I say, if you were in a rowboat with your whole team and you wanted to get the other side of the lake as quick as possible, and there were oars for everyone on the team in the rowboat, how many of them would you like to have row with you? And of course, they said, well, everyone. I said, yes, silly question. But now imagine that team is around your conference table. Why would you want to be the only one with the oar in the water? In other words, only your brain power, not muscle power, but figuring out what is the best way through this problem, across the lake on this opportunity. Why would you not want to engage all of them by leaning forward, looking them in the eye and say, hey, gang, what do you think we might do? And then when you hear ideas, wow, what else and what else? And and just imagine, you know, I'm the leader and Todd shares an idea and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, that's brilliant. That's way better than anything I was thinking. And and so I take the next step. I say, Todd, love it. Would you be willing to execute and lead our team by executing your idea? Todd, how hard will you work to make sure that that is a successful execution? Right, right. (laughs) And uh, that's the power. And well, Todd, another thing, I get excited about this. You know, a leader who thinks they need to have all the answers Two things. That's a heavy burden. Right. And second, none of us have all the answers. So when that leader is asked something they don't know, this is another confession because been there and done that, tempted to make it up on the spot. And I did. (laughs) And I had kind staff. I'm sure there were sometimes they were thinking, I don't think Bob really knew. I think he just made that up. And, but a leader who just says, okay, I don't need to have all the answers, just some of the questions can say, wow, Todd, great question. What do you think would be the answer? And if Todd said, well, Bob, I came to you because I don't know. Well, Todd, I don't know either, but Todd, how could we find out the answer? And and who would know? Or how could we do it? And Todd makes a suggestion or so we could go online. Todd, I want to know the answer. Would you take the initiative to go find the answer and bring it back? And I don't need to make up an answer on the spot. And empowering that staff member. So, you know, what's so critical about this idea is that um, 
so oftentimes the the use the word burden and i love that the 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 burden to have all the answers is the fast track to being burnt out unfulfilled and disengaged as a leader yeah and i we have we have hundreds of leaders we're coaching in our coaching organization and one of the biggest complaints that they that they offer up is why does everybody always come to me for the answer mm. and i just i stop and i pause and i go <laughs> i don't know why do you think they come to you for the answer <laughs> and there's this really uncomfortable moment where they start to realize probably because i give it to them so outside of what you and i are talking about yeah job is not to answer questions but rather to inspire people on the team to come up with their own solutions. Only then does a leader have the freedom to actually lead instead of being the encyclopedia, the FAQ, the central source of knowledge. And these guys, these guys and gals pay a lot of money to be coached and they can't figure out why they haven't answered that piece of it. And I, and, and it's because of what you just said, Bob, yeah. the follower is so reliant on the leader to answer. And it's now a habit and it's the path of least resistance. And what you just said, my dad mastered, I was in calculus in college. I hate math. I hate math with a passion. <clears throat> I believe the only reason I passed calculus is because I played racquetball with the professor. <laughs> I got to see, but I remember one day, my dad's, a, my dad was a doctor, very, very smart in math. And I remember going to my dad and I said, dad, um, I got a problem with this calculus problem. Can you help me figure it out? And my dad looked at me and asked one simple question. He said, have you spent an hour trying to work it out yourself? And I said, no. And he said, go back to your room, spend an hour on it. And if you don't solve it within an hour, Come back and I'll help you figure it out. And I go back to my room. I'm mad for 20 minutes. You know, I'm 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 kind of dis disengaged for about five or 10 minutes. I figure I got a half an hour left. Maybe I should just try to solve this problem. And by the time the hour was up, I had solved the problem. And I wow. came back to my dad and I said, I said, Dad, I figured it out. And he said, I was counting on that because I forgot how to do it. <laughs> my dad said, and so he, but he didn't even lead on to the fact. He yeah. couldn't even answer it if he wanted to, which really puts power in the statement you made that leaders don't whew, imagine waking up every day and knowing you don't have to have and you never will have all the answers. There is power in engaging your team. What else? What else? What do you think about this idea? What are we not thinking about? What are we missing? You know, what else can we, you know, and it's talk about engagement, which, by the way, for CEOs, is one of the biggest challenges they have today, which is an engaged sales force pointing back to one of your original comments that people don't feel known. People don't feel known at work. Man, yeah. we can yeah. hours, Bob. Well, Todd, as you were talking <laughs> a moment ago, you reminded me of another quote in here. I actually have this one on my wall. It's a quote from my friend, Dr. Henry Cloud. And it says, when you give advice, the brain is basically asleep. If you engage them and ask questions that help them come to their own insights, it, meaning their brain, comes alive. Wow. And, uh, well, Todd, there's another thought, and that is, if you're going to ask questions, what do you then need to do next? 
What what else, Bob? What what's the answer to that? <laughs> Might it be to listen? Yes. Don't ask a question if you're not willing to listen. And and Todd, a, a blog post, uh, and I'm sorry, I can't get credit. I mean, I would, I can't remember the name. Uh, on my blog was uh, the title was uh, how to increase sales in eight seconds. This may be a concept somebody learned from you and put it down. But um, but it said in this blog post that the average person, when we ask a question, we only wait two or three seconds for somebody to answer. We're so bothered by the silence that if they haven't answered in two or three seconds, and again, we don't even have self-awareness that we do this, but we either re-ask the question, ask a different question, answer the question ourselves, or just move on with no understanding of what we've just done. And so uh, one of the tips I give in becoming a better listener is ask the question and then count silently to yourself, 1,001, 1,002. Todd, sometimes I've gotten to 1,030. Yeah. The, the, the longer the silence, the better the answer. And, and again, of course, you know, if I'm in your office, say which way to the restroom, you're going to answer that instantly. But it, Todd, if I said, Todd, what would you say have been the two or three greatest failures of your life that have led to great success? If that's not a question you've ever answered before, it's unlikely that you could answer in two or three seconds. And I would be doing myself and you a great disservice if I interrupted your thought at two or three seconds to right. restate the question. Right. If I'll be silent, I'll be the beneficiary of an incredible answer. And again, if the person you asked has never answered that question, it's one of those that they later say, wow, thank you for asking. I had never thought about that. Yeah, it's it's super. It is super powerful. We we actually call it the silence of selling, mm. and, and the idea is that when you answer your own question, you shut off all opportunity to attract, and we don't even know it. And long ago, long ago, somebody said to me, you know, the ask a question and then shut up. The first person who talks loses. That's in the typical old style negotiation. In my, in my mind, you ask a great question and the first person that talks better be the client, better be the prospect. Yes. Because if it's not that way, then you have already started the reversal of trust and attraction and now you have tension and resistance. I count to 10, Bob. And then if I don't have an answer, I simply go, what does that do for you? Another question. What does that do for you or what does that give you? Like if I were to ask you, what's the most important thing, Bob, in letting us help you engage your sales force in high trust selling? And there's a 10 second pause. I will simply say, what do you think that will do for you or them? And what do you think it will give you and them? It's called an accelerant, but it's still a question. And then yeah. I wait. Yeah. Silent, and I have told Bob. I'm telling you, I, I think probably the longest has been literally two minutes. But but here's how it was prefaced. Huh? Let me think about that. And as soon as the guy said that, I'm thinking, okay, zip it, because the first person that talks 
better be the client because then you're going to gain the knowledge. And you know who did this really, really well before he died uh, years ago was Stephen Covey. You know, he had these seven habits, right? And one of one of the great habits was habit number four. And habit number four was seek first to understand, then be understood. And I never forgot that, man. And yeah, so no matter good. what relationship you're in, if you're seeking first to understand before you ever try to be understood, you will have a relationship. So, Bob, we got to wrap it up. This has been fun, but I want to ask you one final question. Um, we've talked about some of the mistakes you've made in leadership, some of the do-overs. Um, do you have any perspective on the the ultimate like goal of a leader? If you were to put it in, not the contextual of asking questions, but what is what should be maybe the ultimate goal of a leader? I think we know what, the yeah. be, but what is it? What well, is it at the end of the day? Here's what I think it should be. You know, one man's opinion. Uh, and you've, this quote is not original with me, but the quote goes something like this. Good leaders are known by how many followers they have, but great leaders are known by how many leaders they've developed. And, and a while back I was watching, you know, one of those ESPN specials. And it was talking about head football coaches who have developed a whole bunch of assistants who have gone on to be head football coaches. Now, uh, you know, and one of them, again, it might have been a bit dated, was, you know, Tom Landry and all of his assistants that became head coaches. Now, imagine this, Todd. It's one thing to develop a leader and they go serve in a complimentary place. When you develop another head football coach in that next fall, they're on the other sideline coaching against you and they know your entire playbook. Yeah. But a coach Landry just considered that a challenge to get better. In other words, we're going to develop new stuff and, and he wished them well, was excited for their success. He really was, but it caused him just to work harder now that they were the competitor. But, uh, but to me that what marks a great leader is how many leaders they've developed. Yeah. Now, there is uh, there is no downside, no downside to asking great questions. There is only upside. And I would just close this by saying your future is predicated upon the questions you ask and the things you learn to make an impact in the people's lives that you serve. And Bob, you've done an awesome job in our 35 minutes together. Thank you so much for, no, just for your just for the artistry and the simplicity around questions. And I think anybody watching this podcast or listening can probably immediately, and they probably already have before we wrap it up, have probably already said, you know, I need to do a better job on that. And I I need to do a better job. Sometimes I get over excited about the solution and I need to pump the brakes and I need to listen because there's power in listening, but you can't listen if you don't ask great questions. So Amen. Props to you, my friend. Thank you for joining us today. And uh, how do people follow up with you if they'd like to learn more? Oh, well, Todd, all the books behind me are actually free ebooks, and two of them are also audiobooks that I recorded, but they're all available on my blog, leadingwithquestions.com. No strings attached. Go wow. request it, download them. My goal is to help leaders increase their effectiveness times 10. 
by moving from a leader who only told or, you know, was a teller to being a leader who leads with questions. Todd, I, I also just spending this time with you realize you need to invite me to your sales school. I need to learn all the questions you know. <laughs> well, my friend, I will give you a free pass to that. Uh, we're bringing our first live event back here in a couple months. But uh, I, I just, you and I are in sync because, man, I spend days and people spend thousands of dollars to learn. It's the questions. The power is in the questions. So, Awesome, my friend. Godspeed to you. Continued success of our relationship. I'm appreciative that Jim McMahon has introduced us. And uh, he, I no doubt now know why he is such a great person of questions. It's because of the influence you've had in his life. Todd, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so All right, much. Man. Take care. Thank you very much. And thanks, everybody, for watching and listening to the Where Success Happens podcast. This one is especially important. If you're a leader, share this with everybody on your team. Make it a sales meeting. Make it an ops meeting. There's power in asking questions. Teams need to ask questions. Sales to sales to client, leader to employee. I mean, power. Power in questions. See you, Bob TV. Bye-bye. Hey everyone, it's Todd Duncan. I wanted to make sure you were aware of a very special announcement. On July 22nd, we are bringing to the mortgage and real estate community a brand new global live stream entitled Irrefutable, the five principles of a high-performing mortgage and real estate practice. If you're a lender, we want you to invite your agents. If you're an agent, we want you to invite your lender. We're gonna spend four hours together and I am going to present for the first time ever these five principles. These principles are designed to level your business up both from a sales standpoint, a marketing standpoint, an efficiency standpoint, and a cash flow standpoint. Most importantly, I'm gonna show you the secret weapon to guarantee a recession-proof business for the rest of your life. Come join us on July 22nd for Irrefutable, nine o'clock to one o'clock Pacific Standard Time. And thanks for watching and listening to the podcast.